When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at what it means to be a child of God. I hope you can feel that today. And also Martin Luther, a complex person who preached the gospel in his time. Um, So we pray for I pray for each one of you who are going through whatever you're going through, that you know you're loved by God, that you know you're loved by me and by the church, Um, no matter where you are or what you're going through. I hope you know that today. This very encouraging text. I don't know if we talk about the devil enough. Do we talk about the devil enough? Do you talk about the devil enough? Does the devil come up in your conversations, um, in your prayer life, in your thoughts? I feel like living in this modern world, a world of science and technology, we have pared down our belief systems to an acceptable level. It's kind of okay in 2022 to believe in God for the most part. There are lots of people that believe in God. Pretty much every single politician we've ever elected to national office, if not local government, has believed in God. Only a few have not. So believing in God is not that strange of a thing. It's not that uh, difficult of an intellectual barrier for people to take us credibly. But perhaps the devil is. The belief in the devil is maybe a harder leap for us to make or for our perceptions of other people, other people's perceptions of us to make, Um, that someone believed in the devil and talked about the devil and talked about how the devil might be doing something in the world today, that might be a little kookier than believing in God. I don't know where you fit in that, but I know for me, it's kind of sometimes hard to believe in a world where there is a devil a little easier for me to believe in God. And maybe that's the problem, is that in our ignorance of what is really happening in the world, we are easily tricked and deceived. And that is what John is writing to these Christians, writing to them so they don't become tricked and easily deceived. They um, are aware of what's happening that there is a revealing to, to what God is doing in the world is, is something that is taught all the way through Scripture, that there is an unfolding. The word revelation has more to do with the word reveal than it does to do with the word for, you know, fire and brimstone and judgment. Um, revelation means to reveal something that's hidden, something that's not been known before. And so... The revelation of God comes to God's children because we are God's children. I love how John says that. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And then he says, we are called the children of God, and that is what we are. So when we talk about the devil, when we talk about God, We must always remember that we are talking about 
God as our parent, that we are talking about God in a very close and intimate way, that we are God's children. That is who we are. It's good to remember who you are. Remember who you are. We tell our kids this when they go off to school. Remember who you are. Remember that you are brave. Remember that you are courageous. Remember that you are kind. Remember that you are all those things that we try to encourage them with in knowing that in their time of uncertainty, when their friends challenge them or ridicule them or the challenges of school kind of get to them, that they will easily forget who they are. We so easily forget who we are in times of stress, discomfort, danger, despair, all the things that pull us from love. We forget who we are. But we are God's children now. And the revealing of that takes place over time. It takes place over a lifetime and in the life to come. Our point is to abide in Christ. And he says that if you, um, that sin is essentially lawlessness. And this is something that's worked out in teachings of Jesus, the teachings in the Old Testament, the teachings of St. Paul, and here in John's epistle. That sin is lawlessness. It's not a sin to walk on the grass until someone puts a sign up. Please don't walk on the grass. Suddenly, there is a transgression of a boundary, of a law. Um, As Paul says, without any law, I didn't know there was any sin. We can see in the progress and revelation of human development throughout time, the different law codes that come into play, Hammurabi's being the oldest. And certainly Hammurabi's law code had a huge influence on the law of Moses, the Torah that is given to God's people on Mount Sinai. At the basis of that law code is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That the standard for how we ought to act in the world at its most basic level is what we would want other people to do unto us. Or as that golden rule has been comedically twisted around, do unto others before they do unto you. Or in the negative, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you, as um, many of the rabbis taught. And Jesus declares that, that that is the essence of what law is. And so a transgression of the law is a transgression of our love of neighbor. Um, The breaking of the law is essentially that breaking of what we would want other people to do to us. Um, This isn't about legalism or too many laws or, I mean, there's laws against like spitting on the sidewalk and things like that in the United States still. We might see those as kind of silly. Um, But essentially, this is a much deeper law that is being talked about. The law written on every human heart. The law written on the tablets of flesh, not on tablets of stone. This law that seeks to care for the neighbor, to love other people as much as we love ourselves. This is the standard of law. And the Ten Commandments are basically a summation of that law. Love God with all your heart is the first half. Love your neighbor as yourself is the second half. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets Jesus taught. So it is not being legalistic to talk about 
sin being lawlessness or anything like that. It is simply a recognition of what we owe each other as people, the kindness that we owe each other, the love that we owe each other um, as children of God. There's no better feeling than as a parent or supervisor of children, whatever way we do that, to see them getting along. No better feeling in the world. There's no worse feeling in the world to see them not getting along. And that is the way God sees us as God's children. And when we're getting along, there is a a great magnification of love in the world. John again calls them little children. And then he hints at this idea that you can live sinlessly. That's what he says. If you abide in him, you cannot sin. This um, invitation, this invitation of living in Christ so that we experience what he experienced is an invitation. It's not some standard of unattainable perfection. It's not being perfect, throwing the perfect dinner party, having the perfectly kept house, uh, creating perfect things. That's not the kind of perfection that this kind of sinlessness is. It is being in Christ so that Christ's righteousness clothes us. So that when we are reminded of our failures, of our past, of our regrets, when those things come back to us, we rest in Christ. Just as a little child goes into the arms of a parent for safety. So that's what we do when those things assail us. This is what um, John is trying to tell these early Christians, that the devil is real um, and the devil has his own program for you and me, and yet God is more real still, that we are God's children. So no matter what other claims are on our lives, what other beings try to claim us, we are ultimately abiding in God because we are God's children. I hope you can feel that today. Um, For some of us, our parents have passed on. They have died. Um, For some of us, there are difficult relationships with parents. For some of us, um, we have uh, all sorts of situations with our earthly parents. But those earthly parents, whether they were good to us or not good to us, or whether they um, are living or dead, or whatever state they're in, they are but shadows of God's care and love for us. They are um, simply echoes of the ultimate relationship of parent to child that God gives us. So you are loved. You can relax today. God has got this. You are God's child. Your parents are in the building. God. God is in control. God's going to take you on a vacation. God's going to take you to school. God's going to take you into your life. You can trust that God will pick you up at the right time. Um, God is a good parent. um, And all of our attempts at earthly parenting are just shadows of that ultimate love that God has for you. So I hope you feel that. And just like a kid on the playground will stand at the top of the slide and look around and identify their parent looking at their phone or talking to somebody over on the park bench and say, look at me, look at me, and then slide down the slide. I, I 
I think we can do that today, as even as grown-ups. We can, before we do something, look up at God and say, God, look at me. Look at me. I'm about to do something here. Look at me. Notice me. Help me to feel that love that I can have the confidence to go down that slide, that I can have the confidence to jump off that thing, that I can have the confidence to take this risk, that I can have the confidence to put aside the voices of despair and the devil and discouragement, that I can have that confidence to take that leap that you are inviting me into, God. Look at me, God, because you are already God's beloved child. Amen. And the creed on page 53. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And today we commemorate the life and witness of Martin Luther, Martin Luther, um, who figures large in the Anglican world, um, not only as a reformer, someone who uh, at the very beginning of the Reformation in many ways started the Reformation, but um, had a big influence on the Anglican faith in our church even today. He was born on November 10th, um, the day before the Feast of St. Martin of Tours, named after Martin of Tours. Um, in Eisleben, Germany, his intellectual abilities were evident quite early. Um, he was named after Martin, who is the patron saint of veterans, um, a soldier, Roman soldier who converted to Christianity, Martin of Tours, who was himself named after Mars, the god of war. So you have Mars, the god of war, Martin of Tours, born, named after the god of war, Martin Luther, named after Martin of Tours, and in the 20th century, Martin Luther King Jr., who was named after Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s father went to Germany and learned in a deeper way about Martin Luther and came back, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, renamed his son Martin Luther King. Um, who had been named something else when he was born. I forget. Scott knows the name? Michael. Michael, yes. So 
when it came to monogramming, it was easy, an easy switch, but um, uh, a kind of a beautiful connection there, um, I think, over time. So from war to a man of peace, really beautiful. Um, but he began to, he went to law school like any rich kid in that time. His father was a, um, a very successful miner who, um, and businessman. Um, but while he was riding on his horse in a lightning storm, he became terrified that he would die in that lightning storm. If you've ever been outside on a horse in a lightning storm, you know how terrifying it can be. And so he prayed to the patron saint of miners, Saint Anne, I will go to the monastery, he said, in that lightning storm. And so, much to his parents' chagrin, or especially his father's chagrin, who wanted him to become a lawyer and a conciliary to his family, kind of like in the mafia style, um, you know, as a lawyer, he would be, not be working in the law school. He'd be working for the, his dad. So at a great, uh, much to the chagrin of his parents, he went to study at a local Augustinian monastery and was ordained a priest in 1507. He's born in 1483. So when he's like five or seven years old, Columbus discovers America. Um, you can see the, the time in which he lived was a time of great um, upheavals and shifts. He becomes a professor of biblical studies. There's a kind of popular myth, or whatever you call it, um, that people in the Middle Ages didn't study the Bible until the Reformation or something. But here's Martin Luther, a professor of Bible, and he's preaching and teaching about the Bible. While he's doing this in the monastery and in the University of Wittenberg, um, the, the uh, church of the Basilica of St. Peter and St. Paul is being built in Rome. Um, they need money really bad. They've borrowed a lot of money and need to pay it back. And so monks are sent out into the villages of Germany and all the surrounding Catholic areas to get them to raise money. And the way they do this is by selling indulgences, selling time off of purgatory. They still believe that it was Christ's righteousness that got anyone into heaven, but um, you couldn't go to heaven right away. You had to go to purgatory for 10 to 20 to 100,000 years. And by buying these indulgences, you were able to cut that time in half or shorter. Martin Luther makes many pilgrimages to Rome, or he makes many pilgrimages, and one of them to Rome where he crawls on his knees up the stairs of the church of St. Peter and laments that his parents are still alive. He's sad that his parents are not dead yet because the penance that he has earned by making that pilgrimage um, can't be credited to them since they're still alive. So this is the world that he lives in, um, a medieval world. And yet he is like a man who is on a dock and steps onto a, a boat and has one leg on the dock and one leg in the boat, and the boat starts to move, and he's kind of got to decide what he's going to jump to, jump back on the dock or jump onto the boat. And he jumps onto the boat. Right before, um, the night before, the big feast day in Wittenberg where they bring out all the relics. He nails the 95 theses to the door of the church. They're debating points that are then translated from Latin into Germany and they go viral all over the 
German world um, as a way of protesting what the Pope is trying to do from his castle in Rome. And so um, he starts the Reformation. He is summoned to a council where he is told to repent and recant. He doesn't. He escapes with his life. If it wasn't for the um, elector of Saxony who protects him, um, he'd probably be another reformer who dies young. But instead, he lives to a ripe old age. He um, translates the New Testament and then the whole Bible into German. He writes many hymns, some famous ones like Away in the Manger, Christmas carols, and most famously, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There are two Luthers, uh, we might see. One Luther is the young reformer who is challenging Rome on a point of doctrine. He's studying the Bible. He's sharing the gospel. He's writing hymns. And then the Lion of Wittenberg, or the old Luther, who in his, after the Peasants' War, um, the disaster that follows the Reformation where thousands die, and Luther sides with the aristocracy to kill the peasants who are revolting. Um, Luther writes several very anti-Semitic treatises that are beyond defense. There's no way to really defend them um, today. Um, And so we see his whole life um, to us today, knowing that he was a sinner, that he didn't see everything clearly, um, even in his own time. But his witness to the fact that um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that your sins are forgiven, is still echoes down through human history. Um, and to me, that is very um, comforting to know that Luther's assertion that when the devil reminds you of your sins, you remind him of the cross, that our sins are nailed to the cross, that our Um, that everything that we have done and left undone is absorbed into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and we are forgiven. And that is the assertion of Luther that launches the Reformation. And even though he failed in many ways as a leader, um, as all leaders do, um, this truth that he preached still echoes down to us um, through history and through through Scripture. So we thank God for his good work in the world, his preaching of the gospel. O God, our refuge and our strength, you raised up your servant, Martin Luther, to reform and renew your church in the light of your word. Defend and purify the church in our own day and grant that through faith we may boldly proclaim the riches of your grace, which you have made known in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray a colic for Fridays. On 56, Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And on 58, Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace. So clothe us in thy spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, 
may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee, for the honor of thy name. Amen.